Alrighty, as promised, the exceptional Ollie Connolly of the Read Optional, uh, and also the managing editor of Gridiron Magazine. Uh, he is, and I'm not just saying this because you're sitting here across the pond uh, on, on our StreamYard video, but you, you've got to be one of the smartest people covering pro football, Ali. I, I try to read you as much as I possibly can because you're always going to learn something about the game that you didn't know before. And you just have this unique ability to take something that can be very complicated, complex, nuanced, even something that can be like really, really boring and you make it, (laughs) (laughs) but you, you, you present it in a way that is so digestible and entertaining and insightful. So uh, it's really hard to do that. I think a lot of writers here in the States try and fail. And I often don't even enter that space because uh, I, I cannot really uh, dive into the X's and O's in, in the way that you do. So I encourage everybody out there to subscribe to the read optional on Substack. It will be worth your time, worth your money. It's it's unbelievable, but it's a pleasure to have you here, Ali. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you. That's an incredible compliment. Um, I try to just write with passion. You know, I follow what I'm passionate about, which is the mechanics of how things are made and created. It's why I usually start with macro, like philosophy. Why are we doing this? Where does it fall in kind of the continuum of football? But the actual writing, which as I was telling you when you were so kind to do my podcast last week, I'm obsessed with the writing, the rhythm of the writing. You know, I will spend 12 hours in a dungeon to make sure the senses are correct. And I really try to approach the scheme stuff, which as you said, can be so dense and is so like an in-out club. It's like, look, I know I'm not as smart as a coach, right? I, I know that. I, I speak to these guys and they are infinitely smarter than I am on any single angle I could approach. And so I'm never trying to comfort from, aren't I clever and keeping you out? I'm trying as much as possible to explain, holy shit, this is amazing. Look how amazing it is that someone <laughs> thought this up. And I'm trying to deliver it with that kind of passion, which is why I'm fortunate in the, without having an editor, I can spend eight weeks writing about Bill O'Brien, which we'll get into as opposed to having to churn out, you know, 12 pieces a day uh, on some nonsense. That's the beauty of it. I think we both kind of tap into different parts of our brain, but we're attacking it the same way where we've got that uh, luxury to spend days, weeks, months on a project and our readers understand that. And when you drop something like this Bill O'Brien story, and then we'll get into it. Uh, everybody should stop what they're doing to read it because there's so much packed in here. It's a combination of like film review with reporting. I mean, you talk to people in the know with the new England Patriots uh, with institutional knowledge, having covered the game as long as you did. And, you know, to, to kind of tap into this as Alabama days as NFL days before that, it was so insightful, but um, first, I want to learn about you. I don't know okay. a lot about you, Ollie, okay. because I, I got on to you from, I think it was Robert Mays' podcast, uh, The Athletic Football Show, which is phenomenal, and everybody should listen to that as well. And maybe it's maybe it was the accent at first, because I'm like, you, you sound really smart. And all of us dumb Americans, we, <laughs> we think that, especially, you know, watching a TV show or something. Like, I'll, I'll never forget, like, watching The Wire, uh, The Wire, and then I heard how all these actors like actually talk when they're not trying to sound like us Americans. I'm like, oh my gosh! Uh, so that, but but beyond that, you <laughs> like you 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 have this ability to to present so much insight and information. It's compact. 
And I can't even remember what you and Robert were talking about, but I came away from that thinking, man, I got to read what this guy does. I have to listen to his insights more often. But I don't know anything about you. I don't even know where you live. I know you're not here <laughs> in the States. Uh, but, yeah, just how, how where, where are you from, Ali, and how did you get into football? Uh, just kind of take us through the, 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 the bio blast, if you can. Yeah, the great origin story. I can do that. I'm good at this now. <laughs> um, so my, my origin dates back to falling in love with the sport was going or traveling around with my dad when he was working, right? And his kind of general dad practice was to throw a stack of Sports Illustrateds at me, leave the hotel room for the day, and then say, I'll see you at five. So he would just leave me with this dumping <laughs> of Sports Illustrateds, and I would go through them. I remember reading a really legendary piece that was about the quarterback who won a game on a broken leg. Okay, so I grew up in the UK in England, obviously, um, and this was uh, this broke my brain that this was even a thing. One that people played high school at a degree where you could have like twenty thousand people in the stadium. Two that a guy who was not that much older than me, I'm in high school at the time, would play a sport on a broken leg and not just cry, get in the ambulance and never be seen from again, and just become a joke around the school, right? And that guy, that quarterback, played at Nice High School in, in Florida, and his name was Tim Tebow. And so I thought, I have to follow this man wherever he leads me, because I've never heard of a sporting enterprise like this before. And fortunately for me, you know, he went on to have a you know, legendary career at Florida, obviously, and then on into the NFL. So that's how I initially fell into loving the sport, was that wild backstory. Um, in terms of writing and scouting and things like that, that just fell about from, I always loved how things worked, as I mentioned before. Like, no matter what I was loving at the time, and I, at the time, was writing my own newspaper, like a big loser in my bedroom. I had the OC times where I would write a news story. Every day I did this, every day. This is kind of tragic, right? Every day I'd write a news story with a headline. I'd find an image. Then I gave myself a column. So in the column daily, I would write a column about Liverpool Football Club or Formula One and then eventually the NFL. And I took that online and started writing from there. And actually getting initially into... X's and O's came about from Ted Sunquist, who was the, the GM at the Broncos, right? They won a bunch of games. They won Super Bowls together. And he found it. And it, this was my great superpower at the time. I was lucky when I fell into social media before it became like, you know, the, the downfall of civilization, essentially. That the, being British was so unusual to people. They would invite me into rooms and spaces that someone else at the age of 17, 18 would never have the luxury of getting into, right? Ted Sunquist was not taking a massive interest outside of Brandon Thorne who he also took under his wing at that time. He was not taking a massive interest in helping out 16, 17-year-old interns, essentially. But he took me under his wing because he was just confused by why does this accent, why does he have this accent? Why is he so interested in the shotgun snap? It makes no sense to me. Um, so that then everything kind of just flowed on from there of meeting scouts, people in college, and going into kind of the, the true scouting world before I kind of returned to, to writing and journalism. That's phenomenal. Uh, I It, it just... It even brings me back to my childhood. I did the same thing, you know, here in Western New York. I, I grew up a, a Green Bay Packers fan, and I remember reading the Packer Report. And so I, I created my own publication for mom and dad, the the, the Packer Weekly, you know. And <laughs> God, I might have started like fourth grade, fifth grade, and then you know, do my own little draft preview. And I sent it to the local sports editor here, Chuck Polligoli, and Times Herald, and he said, "Hey, when you turn 16." We're going to get you an internship. And lo and behold, whatever it was, like three, four years later, I got a call from the Times-Herald and and things took off. But it's crazy. I mean, really, it, it sounds – we can laugh about it, but that's – I think that's how it starts for a lot of people. If you Because re, you really got to love it. Like you really do have to have a genuine passion for, for football 
writing about football, thinking about football, and that passion is probably going to start that young with the OC times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where I find I think of it as a great blessing to know what you want to do at the age of like eight. It's exactly what I wanted to do. I was a good athlete, was not a great athlete, probably should have been better than I was because all I wanted to do was write about sports. So I was like, well, the time I could be practicing kicking a ball, I will practice writing about other people kicking the ball. So, you know, I I laugh now when people ask me about how long I've been doing it. And I say like 15, 16 years and they look at me because of my face and they try to do them. I see them doing the math in their head like that can't possibly be accurate. How has he been doing it that long? Because I have my own newspaper. I was it was a, it was a luxury before there was a time when you could just go out and buy your own newspaper. So you got into scouting, though, you said. Yeah. Uh, what did you do in the scouting world? So in scouting, I worked for a bunch of different services around the NFL draft where you would kind of preemptively go and scout the undercard for the year ahead, right? And it gets sent around to all different NFL teams to kind of wean out whether they need to go to, you know, Appalachian State or those kind of things. You're kind of doing it a year before. And what you end up doing in, in year one is you're doing Montana State. That's the entry-level job is go and scout all the alignment at Montana State. Give us a big cross-off. And these have to be as detailed reports if you're doing Carson Wentz at North Dakota State, right? Who's a guy we had at that time way ahead of, of everyone else back to dating to his high school recruitment is you have to approach those guys as you're approaching the Alabama wide receiver core. So you can have the perfect record when you go to, you know, hand it off to NFL teams and there's not someone falling through the cracks from the service that they that they uh, hired essentially. So that was the main one. Then I also worked in college where, which was a good story where I interviewed a college coach. I'm not going to say the college coach's name for a reason that um, will not be quite clear right now, unfortunately, but when I eventually write the memoirs, Ty, then it will become far clearer. I interviewed a college coach who just left the NFL. He was working in the NFL. He'd come down to college and no one was interested in interviewing this guy. And I thought that was peculiar. And again, I was 18 years old, sat in a house in England. And so I reached out, I interviewed them. He spoke 10,000 miles an hour. He was as enthusiastic as you've ever seen a human being be. And he was fa- he asked me more questions for a podcast interview than I ever asked him because he could not wrap his head around that I was this English guy speaking to him. Then he called me back after the interview. He calls me back and says, do you want to work for me? And I was like, I would very much like to work for you. And so he brought me on to be, I believe it was called a research assistant. It was some kind of NCAA situation. Obviously, you can only have a certain amount of people on staff and all that kind of thing. And I think they called it a research assistant. And again, same thing. Go through these high schools in the middle of Timbuktu and just find if there's anyone who's fallen through the cracks who would come and help our school out. And that was just the most extraordinary experience to actually feel like you're a part of a program rather than just being on the outside and doing you know generic reports that end up where you want to say to people, I saw X before anyone knew about X. That's kind of a, a strange a situation to be to be a part of a team where a player ends up on the roster which happened we had guys drafted from that school as well that was kind of outmoded to where the school normally has guys drafted it was a it was a really fulfilling experience so when did you like move back to the uk and, and where do you live now so i live in the uk now i lived in the uk when i was working in college mostly then i moved okay. over to boston to work for cox media they were doing um a number of college football sites at the time. You may remember this. They had they were covering Big 12, SEC country was kind of the huge one. They were kind of doing oh, yeah. the athletic for college football, essentially, but a bit more clickbaity, unfortunately. And I was brought there to do scheme writing. I wrote, you would appreciate this probably more than the listeners. I was writing 3,000, 4,000 word pieces. These read optional pieces I write every single day about college football. I had to go from the Big 12, to the SEC, to the Big 10, um, then I, then we launched an NFL site and I moved to Boston to kind of oversee 
that NFL That's site was what I did. And I was there for two and a half, three years. And then I moved back um, in 2016. And then I was kind of toggling back and forth between the two. One month here, one month there. Awful for your social life. You get a text, hey, you coming out this weekend? Nope, I'm on the other side of the world. Uh, both ways. Um, then came back over for a short time. Then when COVID happened, moved back to the UK. Wow. I mean, I've been to London once for the epic Bills-Jaguars regular mm-hmm. season game of 2015. We all remember where we were when Blake Bortles and EJ Manuel uh, duked it out. That was actually an entertaining game. It was kind of a wacky game. Uh, but it feels like it, it's just like another planet to me. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I should be more cultured, should get out there to more games. My wife's on me about getting to Europe, but uh, you're just casually saying, oh, yeah, you know, going here and there everywhere. You got to get yourself over to the Germany games. I don't know if you saw this. There's 1.6 million people in the queue to get games for the Germany games yesterday. 1.6 million. It is a ginormous sport in Germany. And it's funny that the league took so long to kind of return there after doing NFL Europe. And immediately you see the cultural impact compared to London, where it's kind of stagnated. You know, things are a little bit yeah. slow. It's all about, will we have a franchise? Will we not have a franchise? In Germany, there are people falling over themselves to get in the queue to go and, and see these games. It's going to be it's going to be massive in Germany. Well, obviously, American football is far superior uh, to soccer. <laughs> you know, we're not even going to call it football, of course. So, I mean, th- th- this is as leading of a question as you can ask somebody. But why, why is American football just so much better than soccer, Ali? <laughs> And, and most, be careful because I know you're out there. So maybe you know, do a little 360 view, make sure nobody's in sniping range and just let us know. Well, it's the most compelling team sport. It's the one where and I think Ted told me this at the time, which was like every single body type and personality trait is in the locker room. And it, you don't find that in bobsledding, right? They all look the same way. They usually have a similar personality because they're willing to get up at three in the morning to go on the bobsled track right same with soccer everyone's in a similar frame profile slightly different these days but for the most part you get every single type of human being and you need it it's not even the the it's like oh that's a fun like aside it's like no we need the cerebral guy at one position and we need the maniac at the other position otherwise we're losing (laughs) football games and so that obviously is when you're younger is an unbelievable draw to you it's like you can picture yourself no matter who you are what you look like your background you can picture yourself in any one of those position groups right you can basically say well i could be a titan um probably not but possible um and then for me obviously as i said like the framework and mechanics of how things work and obviously i fell into coaching and scouting and the x's and o's and all that stuff that is the, just the ultimate of the, the, you know the classic cliche of it being a chess match not quite that to that degree i'd say but all the moving parts it's just there's a never-ending wealth of knowledge to learn and then it shifts underneath you right you can fall, fall into the mike mccarthy of things of the way i learned it initially is the correct way or you can constantly move and shift with the sounds like someone like a Saban, who i'm sure we'll talk about in terms of the bill o'brien conversation who himself having completely redefined the way the sport is played on one side of the ball right completely changed forever will never go back is like i'm doing it wrong on the other side of the ball and decided I need to completely change and get someone who is totally opposite to my personality, who I can't stand, who I want to strangle, but I know I need it because I'm a curious man who likes to win. So that to me is the, is the beauty of the sport is those two things combined. It, it, it seems like everybody in the U, maybe not everybody, but a, a lot of people in the UK throughout Europe, they're, they're warming up to this all. I, even in, in my lifetime for the long, forever, it just seemed like, uh, yeah, I would talk to somebody across the pond and they prefer soccer because it's nonstop. It's free flowing. 
you know, and football was just very, American football was very strange because three, four seconds and then everything stops yeah. and then you wait and then it starts up again. And I always took that element of the sport for, for granted because it's all I've ever known. And I love the chess match of it. Everything that you just detailed so beautifully. Do, do you get the sense that everybody is really coming around to that? And it's, it's normalized really out there now, just how the, the, the pacing of the sport works. Yeah, it's certainly normalized. I think, honestly, phones help on that one for young people as they're happy to spend five minutes on their phone in between plays. Whereas if you watch a Premier League game, it's perpetual motion. That's why it's the biggest sport in the world. It's just frenetic and people adore it. And it's why that's growing in the US because it's a counter to stop, start, the final two minutes of NBA action that takes half an hour or whatever, right? Um, but in the reverse for young audiences in the UK is I can watch this part, not miss out on anything. It's kind of like TikTok. Then I'll go on TikTok in between the plays. So that happens. And it's funny you say that because over the span of my career, which as I said is now 14, 15 years, I went from being a weird loser dork, sat in a loft writing about the sport. The only thing that was cool is when I was able to go out to America, people think, oh, that's quite cool. He gets to go out to America for his job or just the general tenor of America was kind of cool looming over it mm -hmm. Two, the specifics of the job is now cool to people. When I meet people, they ask what I do and I tell them, they're like, that's amazing. That's fascinating. I, you know, I, I watch the Super Bowl every year. People who you would never expect to say that. And, you know, 10 years ago would have tried to give me a wedgie if I'd said, oh, I actually really enjoy this. They, you know, I would have had to push my glasses up and had a funny voice and people would have tried to wedge me. Now it's like, oh, pretty cool. Why is he not wearing a leather jacket? He's got a very cool job. <laughs> I know. It's, it's so true. I mean, we've got subscribers all over the place uh, out there. Um, Ireland, Scotland, gosh, London, Switzerland. It's and then, you know, just emailing back and forth. It's great to hear what got them into the sport, why they love it. And I think what kind of opened my eyes was that Bills Jaguars game in 15. And I didn't really know what to expect. I thought it would be kind of a, a blah atmosphere, honestly, and as it should be. I mean, these were two very bad teams at the time. I mean, that place was packed. Fans are going nuts. Granted, they were in, you know, every type of jersey for every type of team. They, they just wanted to watch the sport. But like this, this has potential. Like the sport really is going to grow around the world. But all right, we got to ask you about your story because this was incredible. Again, it's at the read optional, uh, right, right on Substack. What's your URL if people want to find it that way, Ali? They can go to uh, readoptional.com, I think. Yeah. They can go to the readoptional.substack.com or they can just go to readoptional.com. Yeah. Perfect. The title is Which Bill O'Brien? Did Bill Belichick hire O'Brien return to New England this offseason, but was he brought back for a 2011 redux or to push the Patriots into the future? Just, I'm just so glad a, by the way, just a horrific title. Just an unbelievably <laughs> bad title for such an excellent story. I can say myself, that was good work. I know that was good work. It took me months and months to write. Uh, just the, I couldn't believe when I look back on it the morning after that, I crushed myself with my own lazy title. It, I don't think people realize too, like writers um, at publications don't write their headlines. So upon taking over our own companies, and we're entrusted <laughs> with writing our own headlines. It, it can be a little daunting and, and you do have to get people in there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like it. I think that's a good headline. It, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great like magazine feature title. And it's got, you know, if it had like cool artwork and stuff, people are like, oh, it's kind of interesting. It's a bit arty to sell a story, you know, 
every single reply online was just like, are there more than one? Is there more than one? Just confused. The one with the, the, the dimple chin was a huge reply I got. And all my, my smart takeaways from X's and O's were kind of lost in the wash. Hey, they got in there and they read it. And I, I just, first, what made you want to explore the Patriots? Because we've heard so much about Aaron Rodgers going to the New York Jets. There's all sorts of drama with these Buffalo Bills, with Stephon Diggs right now. Uh, my, Miami's in the news, one reason or another, even if it's Tua Tunga Viola and all of his concussions. The, the Patriots, right? The, I mean, one, one of the, the sports true dynasties with the greatest coach of all time. I, I feel like, maybe I'm wrong, I feel like people aren't really talking about them at all. Uh, th- this is really the first in-depth story I've read in months on the team and I we got you into wanting to explore what, what's happening out there. I've been interested in it since they brought Bill O'Brien back. And it, as the kind of sub says there, I was did, did, did Bill Belichick, who is the, the grand czar of the sport, who can see where things are going better than anyone else. One, he made this monumental error last year, not just in the hiring of turning over his offense to his former defensive coordinator and special teams coach, which was just strange and kind of an interesting off-the-wall strategy of are we doing things wrong? Kind of Daryl Morey-ish, right? Of have we just misthought the sport? That was interesting in some sense. And it was obviously a huge misfire from the specifics and technique of how they coached those guys. They were It was amateurish. You could see it on the film, how amateurish it was going from professional coaches of that side of the ball to guys kind of with cool big picture ideas, but not actually necessarily the mechanics of how each individual position built up into that overall picture. And then he brings, and then they change the whole identity of the offense. What they want to run, Bill Belichick decides, I want to become like Kyle Shanahan, like Sean McVay. And this after, as I know at the top of the story, those two guys have moved away from that world. They do not live in the wide zone then boot world that they kind of became synonymous with for for three or four years. They understood that the entire structure of uh, the defensive side of the ball had moved to stop them. So they were trying to counter move away from it, largely by getting into the empty sets or running different kind of run concepts and and shifting away from that or with Kyle Shanahan betting on having five pieces that can move all over the field and break people with formations and movement. Meanwhile, the guy who I consider to be the smartest person to ever have coached the sport moves towards that. He's like, I'm going to move to where the defensive stands have shifted. It was so abnormal for him to make that decision and to do the two together. Right. Rather than just saying, I'm moving to the Shanahan world. Let me go and get Bobby Slowick off the Niners staff. He wanted to keep it in-house as he always does. And so he made the two moves together. That was puzzling. So when he came to get Bill O'Brien after that disastrous experience, the thing to me was, did he want Bill O'Brien to say, we tried that, it failed. Let's go back to 2011 football, which would kind of fit with the ethos of where the game's at right now, right? Lots of 12 personnel, lots of movement, lots of tempo. Or did he want the Bill O'Brien who did this stint at Alabama, who also redefined his football philosophy in some way, because to accept the Alabama job, you accept their playbook these days. You don't walk in and say, I'm Bill O'Brien, big bad man from the NFL. I'll teach you NFL principles and get you to the league. It's like, no, this is now the playbook because we have nine guys come off staff every season. So we've established our own thing. And your choice is, here's, you know, 700 concepts and pick the 200 you want and you can push and prod us into your direction. But we're running our system because the guys are going to be here, the players, longer than you are. So he learned all these new interesting concepts that Alabama have developed over time, dating back years now. And so I am just fascinated by which one did Bill Belichick want to hire? And then how much will Bill O'Brien kind of 
acquiesce to that? How much will he try and prod it along in maybe his own direction? Does he just want to rerun the way he did things in Houston, the way he did things in New England? Or are they both here to say, you've spent time down there. You know what can be synthesized between the two different sports, basically. They are two different sports at this point, right? And we can maybe push things to a whole new world because we've got this quarterback who played in that system at Alabama. We've got different pieces, though it's not necessarily all that talented uh, at the receiver spot. So to me, it's that kind of more macro conversation of, as I say in the, in the, the terrible title, which one did he want? Did he want the 2011 one or does he want the Alabama one? There were just so many moments reading this story where I'm like, holy hell, I, I never knew that. And that is so interesting on, or here's the Alabama playbook. Here's what you're going to run. And, and Nick Saban's willingness to completely adjust his coaching style, as referenced earlier, on the fly, um, kind of flies in the face of, I think, of all of our uh, inborn uh, assumptions about Nick Saban, that he is this gruff, he's done the same thing since – he can remember as a coach. I think that's what makes the best coaches ever. So how, how does Bill Belichick continue to evolve? I mean, even like even little things like in your story, like I, I didn't know how they really were doing that much wide zone with their running with Ramondi Stevenson. And, and you, you have the numbers to back it up. Like here's what he averaged getting North and South. Here's what he averaged going East and West. One works, one doesn't. Yet they just kept banging their head against the wall, which for Belichick, it didn't. It doesn't really make much sense, does it? No, and the thing with running a wide zone offense, you know, obviously they've always run those plays, right? The wide zone play is not exactly like a unique concept. It's been around since the dawn of man, essentially. Um, but it is a identity shift, to use that awful word that comes from in football all the time, that you really have to commit to the thing because what you're trying to do is is sell it for the play-action shot. So you, you are saying, we want to be a turn-the-back play-action team because that's where, if you look at all the data, the most explosive plays in pro football come from turn-the-back play-action, right? The, you can go five wide and you can chunk the ball down the field. That is possible and you can get a ton of great shot plays off play action from the gun as well. But the most efficient way to hit chunk plays is turn the back play action. So that was kind of the the philosophical shift is we want to be that. And they did all this with Brady too, but they wanted to get more movement into the offense, you know, and to do it with motion the way you see Shanahan do it. Just do it with the kick, step and go run game that allows you to get more into the boot action world than just to hit the top of the drop, turn around, spin as Brady did and hit someone down the seam, right? They wanted to move the launch point more because Mac Jones is an athletic guy. The issue is he's never run that before. And he, it was a disaster. It was an absolute disaster. He had no concept of the mechanics of how to do that. He looked really unathletic. He was so uncomfortable. And what's what's bizarre about it, frankly, is I mentioned before how teams have kind of shifted defensively to take the stuff away. The two big ones that people will probably be aware of is Vic Fangio and won the light box defense, right? If you want to tease people to run the ball, that's a huge emphasis of, of teams now because they don't want people to pass. And then obviously the two deep safeties, but it's not too deep as in just stick two guys back there and hope for the best. It's two to rotate. That's what all the coaches call it. It's just starting with two. And instead of having someone move backwards, always have defensive players moving forwards towards the line of scrimmage. It's just easier for people to work down than to work back. And so what the point of that was that these guys are killing us. McVeigh is crushing us with turn the back play action. So what we will do is we will move when they turn their back. So these guys get one picture pre-snap, a second picture when they turn their head around, right? Just change the contours of the coverage shell when that guy's back is turned, which means that you have to just have to buy extra time in the quarterback's head when he rescans around. He's got to figure out, oh, that's all moved on me. The picture has changed. So to do this with a guy who's never done it before 
and looked immediately uncomfortable. Even the practice reports at the time were like, this is a disaster. And they did change it around week seven, week eight, but the damage was so done. Um, and they still did assist with the wide zone stuff, but they took out the boot stuff. So the, even the point of what they were trying to get to as the end goal, they they completely took its knees out with the rest of the offense. It was just from a from a big picture perspective was a mess. And then the granular of what they were actually running, how things sequenced together, the t- individual techniques used on certain plays, none of it fit together at all. I love it because th- this is this is the substance behind. Mac Jones getting pissed off and being frustrated during that Bills game. You know, I think we, we see stuff like that and we wonder, okay, he's mad. Things aren't working, but why, why, why is it not working? You're going to learn the why in this story. And, and you just laid it out perfectly there. You can, you understand his frustration. Yeah. It's really important because the big picture of what they're running, they had all the best practice stuff in their playbook, right? If you just saw the playbook, you know, people think Matt Patricia's a, a dumb dumb or whatever. Why did he get that job? If you just looked at the playbook or charts out the plays in any given game, you'd say, well, those are all the correct plays, right? Now, running them in the right order is one thing, but it is the small granular stuff. Remember, this guy came from, as I detail in the piece, this RPO-centric deep-breaking option offense at Alabama, right? So he knows how the RPO stuff they put into that playbook, which was the wrong style for him, by the way, which more horizontal-based than vertical as it is at Alabama. He knows that... This is easier for me if the running back's in this certain spot, right? If the running back is at the exchange point side, I have to bend my arm around him. If he's on the other side, it's cleaner, right? There's no one in front of me. I can throw the ball flat and get it out quickly. So when that stuff goes wrong and gets corrupted or the timing's wrong because it's taking too long for pro football compared to college football, the frustration is I know we're doing this wrong. The, the play is fine. I'm running any kind of stretch with a bubble tag is good offense, right? Everyone in the world has that in their playbook. So that's fine. And Patricia's point is, this stuff is fine. This is the right stuff to run in the modern game. He's saying, no, the specifics and mechanics of how we get to it are completely wrong. I would like a professional him, please, who knows what he's doing. (laughs) Makes you appreciate the Brian Dables of the world who can take all of these really good plays, all of these really good concepts, but then synchronize them in, in, in an order has a little flow to it and some unpredictability and wins. And he did it with the talent he had, the Giants. Um, I want to read part of your story here because this <laughs> I was c- cooking a steak last night and uh, rereading your piece, and this still makes me laugh. This is so good. Uh, and it, it kind of brings me back to the one time I met Bill O'Brien for Deshaun Watson's story. And he was gruff, rough around the edges. It was, it was, it was a good conversation. Le- learned a little bit about uh, Watson at the time, O'Brien, but I, I, I can kind of see where you're getting at with this. This is from Ollie. O'Brien's shock and all style of coaching will not be for everyone. It should mesh with Jones. He brings instant credibility and has the teaching chops to dive into any aspect of his offensive philosophy with precision. Belichick did, Belichick did not move from a 100 mile an hour man to a Zen like philosophizer. He went from one asshole to another. Only this one has to clout to earn buy-in from his players. Patricia's strange view of braggadocio, inspiration, and insecurity was never going to work for a team looking to refresh the main target point of its run game and the play-action shots that flow from it. Patricia is distant and cranky. O'Brien is an in-your-face. I'm sorry, is an, is an in-your-jersey crank. So, so beautifully written. <laughs> Thank you. So what, did you learn about, what did you learn about Bill O'Brien? 
Um, as a as a person, I mean, what, what kind of guy really is he behind the scenes? Yeah, I think the thing with Bill O'Brien that's interesting is he does have this kind of detached persona, I think, because of how things ended in Houston, right? That it's the he wanted to be GM. He kind of removed himself from the day-to-day operation more in terms of involvement in the offense. He traded away guys he had personal issues with who were so much better than the players that he was trying to replace them with. It was just an absurd kind of team-building notion. And so I think that's kind of clouded the reputation when he really is a build from the ground up, make sure everything clicks as one type guy and all the concepts have a point and he's got a very very specific doctrine of offense but he's been open to changing from now which i don't think is necessarily the perception of him i think it's that he's a my way or the highway type guy now he is in what we're doing the you know the point of today's practice is x you are professionals we need to be at you know this end point by the end of practice so i am going to get in your face and explain how i want this done so at the end of practice we are on track and on schedule right and so that has a certain connotation a certain reputation which is that he's as i said cranky uh, and an asshole which i think if you poll players they would say yes but the reward and the excellence that flows from it is because it's at least got that undergirding of he knows what he's doing he knows what he wants and he knows how it all fits together but he does have with that the malleability to say we need to adjust and move these concepts the whole style of the offense with where the sport's going and with what my roster is which is a big thing with him is he is not so doctrinaire as other coaches say, we must do these 10 concepts, no matter what. That's what I believe in. It's that this is kind of the general profile of offense I want. Throw the ball on first down, 50% in empty formations, which is an astronomical figure in the NFL. It's, it's ticking up slowly in the NFL. Most offense is now about 10% of it's from empty. He's been at 15% forever. Right. So he's he's always said, this is what I believe in. But he will adjust the specific concepts to, to the roster. I think Mac Jones will take all of the crankiness, all of the ass holiness that Bill Bill Bryant can throw at him, if if the offense is more conducive to his skill set. And I think I think you had the number in your story where the Patriots ran two downfield RPOs last year, two, two ever two, and, with Mac Jones, and he's a two down ever. And, and oh ever ever. And his entire time in New England is accurate down down the field. I mean, that was his thing at Alabama. Yeah, Alabama, his two things were driving the ball deep, just just deep accuracy in general. And he still is an extraordinary deep ball throw. He's incredibly talented. The touch, the drive, the accuracy, all that stuff. He has it down the field. That's the one thing you can never say against him. Now he's got all kinds of other issues, all right, which I, I also detail in the story. This is not to say that there's a, a hidden Brett Favre hiding in Atlanta waiting to come out, right? That's not the point <laughs> of the story at all. What I'm saying is as a just an organizing as, as an organization they've let him down in terms of saying we're bringing a guy in whose best two traits are being the trigger man on rpos making really quick decisions then driving with accuracy down the field right at alabama they have this certain uh they have a style of offense where everything is option based right option in the route tree option in the rpo option in the run game everything has to have an answer post snap Okay, and there's other kind of specifics within that that we don't necessarily need to bore people with, but it's all optionality. So you're reading on the fly. Everything is a read. And what they do, which they do in college, which is different to the NFL, is in, instead of having option routes that are in-out, right, that are kind of the most basic coverage adjustments in the NFL, right, the, the, the choice routes where depending on the leverage of the defender, you go one way, you go the other, they give you a 360 optionality map. And it is run to grass. We have the best athletes in the country. Run to space. The quarterback will find you. And what makes that so tough compared to the NFL, where you will get, you see an NFL play and it'll have four options 
on the playbook, right, for one one receiver, which is based on coverage on the, the coverage shell, right? Usually pre-snap, sometimes in the league post-snap, which means that no depending on how the coverage rolls out, everyone will still be in the right spot, right? If it's three versus four versus two, everyone should know it still all fits together because it's been preordained by the coaching staff, essentially, right? It's just the play adjusting on the fly to the coverage shell. At Alabama, it's like run to space. You may run into each other. We don't care, right? Get down the field and break the space. And this is what Sean McVay brought to the Rams too, was they call it attack grass, right? Just get down the field and find grass and we'll find you. Why bother running to a preordained point if there's a double team there or if there's a guy on the back end? Just find grass and the quarterback will figure it out for you. And Jones's great strength was one, the trigger on those quick firing RPOs and two, an, an unusual ability to read out that deep breaking stuff ahead of everyone else. All these moving parts, 11 variations on one play and being able to constantly find the right guy and stand in there and deliver deep bombs down the field. And not always to wide open receivers, though there was plenty of that too because those guys were complete freaks he was playing with. But that is not a usual trait. So for me, as just a, a coach and a scout, it's like, why when that guy comes to lead them, would you not say, well, two things we need in our offense are quick firing up you know, to get this guy comfortable. And then let's build in these deep breaking varied options like McVeigh has done because these are his two strongest assets. Instead, they ran none of them. No deep breaking options. As I said, two vertical RPOs the entire time he's been in New England, two. So they just took his two main assets and said, you figure it out, play Brady-esque in year one, where he was okay with very minimal help. And then year two, in fact, we're moving entirely away from an offense that even looks like anything you've ever thrown in before. And we're going to change the whole offense to a way that doesn't suit your skills. So say like they put in the perfect offense for Mac Jones, all of this stuff that you're describing. Mm-hmm. Can Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, Juju Smith-Schuster, Tyquan Thornton, Hunter Hen- I mean, are these receivers that can attack grass and get open to take advantage of what that Mac I, Jones does best? That stuff is so hard. You know, I, I say in there, there's tons of players who prefer A to B. Tell me where to be, tell me the timing, and I'll get there. Right, you had in your Zay Jones story when he was explaining that the Gruden, uh, Gruden's preferred route, right? That he just wrecked that non-stop with Derek Carr because he knew that was kind of Gruden's go-to route. So, and that will have within it a certain timing. He will maybe add in a head fake. You know, he'll do his own little idiosyncrasies to make sure that route comes open. That is what most offenses in the NFL because it's so fast, right? And everything is rhythm and timing based. So it is really hard to plug into the league anyway. Okay, it works great when you have Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, who were geniuses at attacking grass, right? They just had this this two-man game between them, and McVeigh would say, everyone else clear out. We're going to keep more guys in to protect because I've got two geniuses who will find grass, right? Do the Patriots have that? I don't know. It's impossible to say until you're seeing it on the field. Can these guys coordinate within themselves? Can they coordinate with Mac Jones? Can they find an attack grass? You say, are they quick enough? You know, so much of it is burst off the line and the ability to separate off the line quickly so that once you're out in the deep part of the route, you can then break and attack grass. Because what we're discussing here is not five yard, six yard, little option routes, you know, Wes Welker type stuff. This is 15, 20 yards and breaking deep down the field. That's why they're called deep breaking options is they come really, really late in the rep. And so you're asking a guy to stand in there, hold his own breath at quarterback, read it the same way that Nelson Aguilar is reading it, or read it the same way that Devontae Parker is reading it, read it correctly, and then deliver a 20-yard strike to the right portion of grass. It's tough. It's really, really tough. And to live in that gray is difficult, but they'll be doing themselves a disservice to not investigate it through the whole course of the offseason. 
it, I, I can't see New England finishing last in the division. I don't know. I, I feel like the defense is too good. Mac Jones is probably better than we all think, given all of the issues that he said to deal with in the, in the NFL. I don't know. After all of your reporting, like, do you, do you see the New England Patriots being a bad football team like most people? I think most people just expect Aaron Rodgers to revitalize the Jets. And, you know, the Dolphins still have all these weapons. And, oh, by the way, the Bills are – Super Bowl favorites in a lot of people's minds. Um, I, I can't dismiss Bill Belichick yet. No, and not with that. I mean, that defense is outrageous. Honestly, if you go through the depth chart of that defense, all three levels, they are probably three or four deep. And they are three or four deep with every single body type you would ever want. If you're just drawing up an ideal defense, they got it for the modern game, right? They can play in dime the entire time. They can get big. They can play small. They can. They have obviously every single coverage possibility in the book because of Bill Belichick. And then they go and land themselves the one piece they were missing, which is Christian Gonzalez, where they can get even more extravagant with the coverage principles, which is what they were missing last year when they were also excellent. So I, to me, defensively, it's as good as it gets on paper. That I would not be at all stunned if they were top five in every single metric going and by eye test the best defense of the league. I think that is quite clearly the ceiling for them that that is a really special group on paper right now uh, you know injuries depending and so then it comes down to well can you score 24 points on offense consistently if you score 24 points on offense consistently you're probably winning eight or nine games with that defense minimum and that sh- shouldn't be worse than that division i think they'll have as they've had the entire time mac jones has been there these wild ebbs and flows where they win games you don't expect because they're so good defensively it comes together on offense and games where he just combusts or melts down or the offense isn't good enough or someone figures out something against them defensively and they lose games you're not expecting them to craziest thing you learned in in your months of reporting on this story (laughs) uh just how toxic it was last season the personalities involved, you know, I was telling you on our show, I, I know Matt Patricia really well. You know, when I, this goes back to the, um, I was saying for when I was living in Boston, that it was such a welcoming and opening organization outside of like, um, kind of the, the proper reporting lines of communication, right? I was just a guy out there. And again, they were everyone involved with the Patriots was fascinated by this English guys in Boston. He, he's, he's a scout, you know, he knows about the sport. So they would give me time that I just don't think anyone else would be fortunate enough to have access to in the middle of running a dynasty. They're running a dynasty and they're going to Starbucks to have coffee with Englishmen, right? So Matt Patricia was just, you know, unbelievably kind with his time and knowledge at that point in time. And so I have affection for him for that. And, and he was really generous to learn what it was like last year behind the scenes, all the finger pointing, how combustible those two were together. Cause one of Mac Jones's things, it's funny cause he kind of looks like a goofy tall white guy, right? I don't think people realize what like a pathological, competition a holic is that he wants mm-hmm. everything to be competition he wants to be pushed and he wants to scream back at you and then have you know you scream back at him a second time and then go out and throw the you know seven yard slant and look at you with it with a dirty scold and say told you so but then come off the field arm in arm and say that was a good practice that's the mentality yeah. he wants and so as i say with o'brien that will be o'brien they will scream at each other and it will look if you just saw it like oh this is similar to last year they don't like each other. Everyone's screaming. But I think that's what Jones wants. I think that's what gets the most out of him, as opposed to more of the detachment and let's go in the film room and now let me explain how clever my concepts are and how crap you all are, which is what was happening a lot of last year. I, I love the inside baseball elements of this all. Like just sitting down with you for a coffee. To, I mean, that, that, that's 
that kind of blew me away with the Patriots too. Uh, just from a yeah, long form writer point of view where some teams are more accessible than others. Some teams are really, really paranoid. And I think we all, I as well, assume the Patriots would be equally paranoid given everything we've, we've read and heard about the team. My God, I went out there last season and they're like, yeah, oh yeah, you can talk to Matthew Judon. I mean, here's a room. Just hang out as long as you want. We talk for an hour. But I was like, what? That, like, you know, when I when I was there, so at the time I was writing a book, right, which was an absolute disaster. Far too young to agree to a book deal, to write a book about the great dynasty of our times from an X's and O's perspective. Just a horrifying idea at the time and gives me shivers even thinking about those dark <laughs> days right now. But I, re- you know, the sense from everyone around the building was if you're talking about football, we have all day. We love football. These are footballaholics. We have no time for, you know, the word narrative. Don't even bring it up in conversation. You see this all the time, as everyone knows, with Belichick and the press conference. You ask him about narrative, about personalities. He has no interest. You ask him about 1960s punters from Navy. Well, then, you you know, your recorder runs out because he can't wait to, to tell you everything. And that was the whole way through the entire, that was the culture. That was who he hired was guys who were like, you know, NASA scientists who would then come and coach defensive line. So these are highly, highly intelligent individuals who put that intelligence to football and they will talk to you for hours. And the great thing about them at that time was they did not have this like strange arrogance that we've cracked something or there's some secret. It was just that we know what we want to do. We'll explain. There was no fear of this 20 year old English guy writing a book that gave away the state secrets. It was like, everyone knows this stuff. They watch our film. They see this stuff. We just have executed well because we have Michael Jordan playing quarterback. <laughs> okay. So we're all really lucky and they were open about it the whole time. So it was a, it was an extraordinary building to be around. Everybody out there, subscribe, read optional.com, read Ollie's awesome story on, on Bill O'Brien. I mean, we talked for almost an hour here, and, and I'm telling you, we, we barely scratched the surface. There is just a ton in this story and everything that Ali writes that uh, you'll be happy you read. Thanks so much for hanging out, Ali. I don't even know the time zone differences. What, what time is it out there right now? It is currently 1 o'clock in the afternoon right now. Beautiful. Is it weird? Like, you know, we're, we're, we're so, like, narcissistic, I guess, in the Eastern <laughs> time zone. We just expect everybody to abide by our – our time zone well, one and of my especially with covered american football you're you're probably always having to do the same to the extreme yeah one of my great weirdnesses that people find me peculiar for is that i live on east coast time for the majority of the year even when i live here you know i, I just live on east coast time there's about a month month and a half of the year which is right now in the summer when it's the dead period where i switch back for a month so that you know my wife doesn't look at me too strangely but for the rest of the year i just live on east coast time so when someone says seven eight to me i'm like yeah that's seven or eight I know when we were DMing back and forth, you were so nonchalant about it. And I felt, gosh, should I, should I make, make sure we're talking Eastern standard <laughs> time here? And it's like, like, oh, you just assume that's what we're talking about. Um, well, this was great. Thanks so much for uh, taking all this time, Ollie. And let's do it again soon. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon.